I'm going to give you a brief roadmap of where we are headed with our our sermons. Um, We are finishing up over the next, today, and and three three next sermons, uh, three next weeks, the the Jesus and Genesis message series where we're looking at the first book of the Bible and seeing where we see Jesus in in the text and how Genesis points to Jesus. And then on Sunday... September the 8th, we're starting a new series on the Apostles' Creed and looking at this this great ancient um, creed of the early Christian church that has been influential and withstood the test of time for Christians throughout the centuries following. Look at just kind of core Christian beliefs, what that means for us. And we're hoping that you'll think through people that you can invite to that, maybe some people that uh, don't go to church, maybe um, are somewhat newer to the idea of church or Christianity and want to know what is it that Christians believe and uh, invite them to come on Sundays for that. We're also going to have small groups that will discuss the Apostles' Creed and the sermons uh, that will meet on Sunday morning and some on Wednesday evening. And so my encouragement to you is that you'll um, find one of those groups. We'll also have our normal Sunday school classes during that time as well. So there are lots of options for you guys and I would love for you to be in a group um, for, that, for that series and, and invite someone. Now, if you have a Bible, grab it and open up to Genesis chapter 18. And I hope you brought your Bible. If you did not bring one, then you can look in the seats in front of you, either right in front of you or to the left or to the right. And we have uh, some Bibles available. And you can use that and turn to page 15. Uh, if you're using one of our Bibles. Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bow low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three siyas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and they set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out as my, and, and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and she said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, yes, you did laugh. Well, let me ask you, when was the last time that you had just a good, deep laugh? You know, the the one that just comes from your gut, your belly. When was the last time you had a great belly laugh? If, If you catch me at the right moment, it has to be the right moment. It has to be a moment where I kind of... There's a funny scene that happens, and I can just relive it in my mind. But if you catch me at the right moment, you may see me on the ground, doubled over, laughing hysterically with tears just running down my cheeks, and I have a hard time catching my breath because I love to laugh like that. But you have to catch me at the right moment for it to happen. And there is something, at least for me, that is very healing about laughter, very therapeutic about laughter. And there's lots... There have been lots of studies on this that indicate that laughter is healthy for our body. Laughter decreases stress hormones. Laughter increases um, health, healthy hormones, uh, hormones that um, you know, affect our blood flow, that, uh, that um, help um, stimulate um, antibodies in our bodies uh, to fight off infections. A lot of Great health benefits with laughter. Laughter, indeed, is a good medicine. Unless it's the wrong kind of laughter. Because there are, there are different types of laughter, and there is a cynical kind of laughter, isn't there? A cynical kind that we use as a defense mechanism when we've been disappointed before and... We think we're going to get disappointed again, and so we'll have this cynical laughter. You know, a politician may make some promises, and and we just laugh this cynical laughter. Yeah, right. We'll 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 believe it when we see it. I'm not holding my breath, and we use this as as this cynical laughter to um, just to protect ourselves from from disappointment in life. And this is Sarah's laughter, isn't it, in our story? And we know this is her laughter, the cynical laughter, because of what is said about Sarah when God confronts her on her laughter. Remember, God, who appears as these visitors in our story, God asks, why did Sarah laugh? And he says, is there anything that is too hard for the Lord? And what does the scripture say? That Sarah was afraid. Look at verse 15. Sarah was afraid, and so she lied. Oh, I did not laugh. Yes, yes, you did laugh. It's a cynical laughter that Sarah had. Now, why is this story in the Bible? Well, it helps, for one thing, helps us to see something really, really, really important about something fundamental to our walk with God, and that is the promises of God. This story helps us to understand God's promises to us. And so I would like to um, offer up four statements this morning about God's promises, important things to know about them. And then we're going to look at one of the the best promises, I think, in all of, of scriptures this morning. So one, this story highlights 
one of the most challenging aspects of our faith in God. If you have that note sheet in the Bible and want to fill in the blanks, you can do that. And it's this. Often, we have to wait for God's promises. We need to know that about God's promises. Sometimes we have to wait for them. See, this story happens 24 years after God's original promise to Abraham, known as Abram, 24 years ago, um, of descendants. 24 years ago, God promised you will have many descendants, and now comes this renewed promise to Abraham. 24 years. That's a long time to have to wait for something. Can you remember 24 years ago? Can you remember a promise that was made to you 24 years ago? I have a hard time thinking that far back, let alone remembering a promise from 24 years ago. And God makes him wait. Here's one of the most troubling aspects about this, I think. It's this. God um, is completely unapologetic that Abraham and Sarah have to wait 24 years. God never says, oh, Abraham and Sarah, I'm so sorry that you had to wait so long. God never makes that apology. Why is that? Well, it's this. This is truth about God. God is completely confident and competent in the running of our lives in the universe, for that matter. (laughs) He's completely confident and competent. It does not worry God in the least that we have to wait at times. Worries us, we have to wait. It doesn't worry God in the least bit that we have to wait. So how can we wait well on his promises? How can we wait without growing cynical? How can we wait uh, and, and still have expectancy in his promises? How can we wait and be buoyant when the storms of life are happening? Well, you have to know the nature of God's promises. It's a wait for him, but let's talk about their nature. This is our second point here. God's promises come from God's grace. And grace isn't earned. Grace is only received. Therefore, God's promises are not earned. They can only be received. Nowhere in Abraham's or Sarah's story does it say that, boy, they really impress God with, just doing great, doing good things. They, 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 there's nowhere in their story where it says that God saw their great behavior or their great actions and said, ooh, Abraham and Sarah, you're doing such a great job. Let me reward you. That is not a part of their story. Now, Abraham and Sarah, they, they had faith in God, but that is not what led to the promise. That didn't stimulate God's promise. In Genesis chapter 15, if we... Go back a few chapters. We'll see this. Verse 5, God took Abraham, or Abram at that time, and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. That's the promise. Then Abram believed. After the promise was given, Abram then believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So notice, Abraham doesn't first put his faith in God and then 
be rewarded with the promise. It's promise first, then faith in the promiser. So faith, what is faith? Faith is our hands, our arms extended outward to receive the promise that God has put before us already. It's grace that puts the promise there in the first place. God's grace. Faith is just our stretching out our arms to receive that promise, that grace from God. If you look at so many of Jesus' parables, they're about how excessive God is with his grace. We sung about one of those parables earlier today. Jesus, one time, says, let me tell you about God. Imagine having 100 sheep in a field, and one of them wanders off. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the field so that you can go after that one lost sheep? And the answer is, no, I wouldn't do that. I would not do that because there's 99 over here. Why would I go off just for one little sheep? Jesus' point is, that's what God does. God will go after that one lost sheep. He is extravagant with his grace. Another time Jesus told a parable, he said, imagine this this big banquet being thrown. The, The person throwing this banquet wants to be generous, plans this big banquet, pulls out all the stops, except lo and behold, when it comes to the evening of the banquet, all of the people that were invited, all the bigwigs that were that were invited, none of them showed up. And so the man throwing the banquet tells the servants, go out, go out to the alleys, the back alleys and the street corners. And I want you to find, find the, the drunks that have passed out on the corner and bring them into my banquet. Go out, find some homeless people, bring them in. Find sick people out on the streets and bring them into my banquet. It's a parable that says, God is lavish with his grace. People who least deserve it have it poured on them. And the only thing that will keep you from receiving it is when you think I have done anything to receive it, uh, to to, uh, deserve it or to earn it. And because we have not earned God's promises, because we haven't earned them, we can trust in this third point we're going to make, and that is this. We cannot disqualify ourselves from the promises of God. Because we don't earn them, we cannot disqualify ourselves from them. You can't unearn something that you haven't earned in the first place, in other words. God doesn't say, oh, you're going to act like that? Well, guess what? You've just disqualified yourself from this promise that I made earlier. I changed my mind. Listen, we can be grateful for um, these stories of Abraham that we've been looking at, Abraham and Sarah, in the Bible, because we see that they are far from perfect people. Abraham and Sarah, far from perfect. Yes, they believe in the promise of God, but they really mess up along the way as well. They are far from perfect. Waiting was hard for them. About 10 years after God made the, the, the promise, the original promise of, of descendants. About 10 years after that, they got tired of waiting. And uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, had this, this brilliant idea and said, Abraham, why don't, why don't you have a child with my servant? 
And, uh, and Abraham said, well, okay. And so he has a child with Sarah's servant. Not really a, a pillar of faith move, is it? And lo and behold, when her servant got pregnant, Sarah got really upset. And here's what she says to, to Abraham. She tells Abraham, I put my slave in your arms... Now she's pregnant. You are responsible for the wrong that I am suffering. Gee, Abraham, you couldn't see that one coming? You know, just some crazy scratch-your-head moves that happen with Abraham and Sarah. And here's how Abraham responds. Hey, she's your servant. Do whatever you seem fit to her. I mean, poor leadership, poor decision-making from both of them. And so Sarah mistreats her servant to the point that her servant runs away. These are not real faith examples, are they? They're just not. But here's the important point. They never, Abraham and Sarah, never disqualify themselves from receiving the promise. After all of that, after... Sarah cynically laughs at God, at this promise. Whatever. I'm too old. My womb has been closed. And now, God, you're going to give me a child. After that cynical laughter, God is still faithful. And here's the deal. God gets the last laugh in this story. You know why? Because God says, name that child of yours Isaac, which means Laughter, so that every time that Abraham and Sarah called their son, hey, Isaac, what are they reminded of? What is Sarah reminded of? Yeah, yeah, God, I remember. Yeah, yeah, you promised the son, and I laughed and didn't believe you. God gets the last laugh. When you are waiting for God's promise, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't think, I wonder if I've done something to mess this up. Maybe I've done something to disqualify myself. God has revoked his promise. He has not. God will remain faithful. If you are waiting, God has not forgotten. Point four here. God makes promises to us so that he can make his plans happen, not our plans. I think this will help kind of put things together for us. God makes promises not to make our plans happen, but to make his plans happen. Why does God make us wait? Why? He's got a good reason. Because he's bringing about his plans and not our plans. And his plans always are bigger than our plans. They're always bigger. So think about Abraham and Sarah. Do you think that they wanted to have a, a child? Surely they wanted to have a child. They had, they've been wanting to have a child for a long, long time. Abraham was about 100 years old when he had Isaac. Well, they were wanting a child when Abraham and Sarah got married in the first place. Decades ago. Think about them. They wanted a child. They wanted, you know, Abraham, if that child was a son, wanted to raise him up to be a man, and Sarah just wanted to 
love on that child and rock that child to sleep and sing to him or her. Of course they wanted a child. They wanted to watch that child grow and get married and have grandkids one day. Of course they wanted that. And those are wonderful plans, aren't they, for our children. We want that as parents. But that's our plans. God always has bigger plans. See, God's plan was to build a nation through Abraham and Sarah, through their son Isaac, to build in them a strong faith that each generation would then pass down to the next. Get that. To build up in Abraham and Sarah a strong faith that they would pass to Isaac, who would pass it down to the next generation, and then on and on and on. And then one day... Through that nation that God would build through them, the Savior of the world would come. See, God's plans are always bigger than our plans. And because of them, because of that, God's promises may be fulfilled in a different way than we would wish. Sometimes we have to wait. Why? It's because of this. God's plan for us always includes our character. When we think of God's plans, we often think of our circumstances. When we think of God's great plans, we think that means greater circumstances, and God thinks, no, that means greater character for you, for me, for us. And one of the places we see this is Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Romans eight twenty-eight. for those who have been coming to church for a while, That's one of those beloved verses in the scriptures. It says, and we know that in all things, we often connect this with our circumstances, we know that in all things, in all circumstances, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we often take that verse to, to, and, and apply it in this way. Even in bad circumstances, know that God's going to use those to bring about better circumstances, better situations. For us, he's going to use difficult things to make things better for us in the future. I think that's true. But look how this this scripture ends in verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, and he talks about our character, to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. So God's plan does include our circumstances, but his goal is our character. His goal is to make us look like Jesus. That's God's plan. And character is formed when we wait. And God knows this. See, what do we call kids that get whatever they want whenever they want it? What do we call kids that we call them spoiled And God is not raising us up to be spoiled. God is raising us to be people with strong faith who receive God's blessings as they come, when they come, with gratitude, with joy, instead of with this demanding spirit. Instead of with this attitude of entitlement. Character is formed when we wait. wait. One of the the best sentences I've heard on this is from uh, Ben Patterson in his book, Waiting at Least as Important as the thing we wait for is what we become as we wait. At least as important is who we become. 
Faith and character are forged in delay. And if I receive whatever I want, when I want it, then I become spoiled. And God is not building us up to be spoiled individuals. He's building us up to be people of faith. Now, having said all of that about the promises of God, let's look at, I think, one of the best promises in all of the scriptures. And God says it in Genesis chapter 18. It's in verse 14. And it's this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Isn't that a great promise? Is anything too hard for the Lord? So John Walton is an Old Testament professor at Wheaton College, and uh, when he writes about this question that God asks, is anything too hard for the Lord? This is what he writes. He says, this is not a promise that God will create the future that we want. It's not a promise that God will create the future that we want. This isn't name it and claim it. It's not name the future that you want and claim it in God's name. That is because nothing's too hard for the Lord. That is not what that promise is about. Instead, he says, this promise is a hope to sustain us. God's promises are meant not to lead us into some predictable future that we want for ourselves. God's promises, this is so important, are to lead us into wonder. To wonder to a future that we could not even have imagined in the first place. There's this promise in in Romans, Romans chapter 4. It says this, Abraham is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into into being things that were not. That's our God. He brings the dead to life and calls into being things that didn't even exist. And when you feel like your life is just a bunch of dead ends, and then all of a sudden, God opens up your future to, to something that you couldn't even imagine. That is wonder. And that's what God's promises lead us into. Wonder. Not predictable future. Not, here's the future I want, God. Give it to me. But just waiting God to unfold through time, through waiting, a future you couldn't even imagine. One day, 2,000 years ago, all of Jesus' disciples, all they saw was a dead end. They saw Jesus on the cross. And then he was placed in a tomb. And all they saw was pain and sin and evil and hurt and disappointment. Just a bunch of dead ends. And there was deafening, dreadful silence. And they had to wait. And the next day, there was more Dreadful silence, and they had to wait. But on the third day, on the third day, the laughter of God could not be contained anymore, and Jesus bust out of the tomb. Is anything too hard for God? That promise, that promise is a promise that God gets the last laugh. God gets the last laugh. God gets the last laugh over your disappointments and discouragements and setbacks and losses. Now, God may unfold things in a way that you wouldn't imagine or plan for yourself in a way that you would prefer, but that is because he has a bigger plan in mind. So can we do something this morning? I just want you to take a disappointment in your life, something that is troubling you, troubling you, something that you see as a dead end, and can we bring that before God? 
and rely on this promise, there is nothing too hard for God. And when we do that, how can we do that? Well, we can hope. We can trust. We can't predict. We can try to predict, but we'll probably get it wrong. But we can hope and we can trust. And that's how God makes us laugh when he brings about something that we just couldn't imagine. Because he is the God who spoke into that dead tomb, that, that, that tomb with the dead Messiah in it and said, open up. He can do that. He's the God that spoke to that, that closed dead womb of Sarah's and said, open up. And a son was born. And he can speak to that dead end in your life and say, open up. And he will bring about a future that will take us by surprise, take you by surprise. And it may not look like you expected it would or imagined it would, but know something for sure. In the end, you will laugh. Not the cynical laugh. Not the cynical laugh. The joyful laugh of one who witnesses the power of The God who says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Let's pray. Almighty God, you indeed rule the heavens and the earth. You rule over our lives. You are our king And you invite us to give you control, to offer ourselves up to you and our futures up to you. Lord, we pray that we would do so in faith this morning. We pray that as we offer you our disappointments, our discouragements, that you would help us to wait with faith and know that you are our Savior and you are with us. Lord, build up in us strong, faithful hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.